All subject matter in the preceding podcast is entirely alleged and not admissible in a court of law. A recklessly minimal effort has been taken to change the names and details of any guilty parties. And just in case you bastards get any ideas, the hosts of this podcast are notorious and well-documented liars with no legally admissible credibility. This is Mama C, and you're listening to Notes from the Pin Podcast. Welcome to prison, bitch. Hi, everybody. Mama C here. We have a special one for you guys this week. We are going to take a look back at some of the more memorable episodes over the years. And for those who listen to Notes from the Pen on Patreon, we will be releasing our newest episode this Wednesday as normal. And if you haven't followed us on Patreon yet, you'll get special bonus content, early releases, and so much more. And remember, it's for a good cause and it's how we're able to crank out these episodes each week. So without further ado, let's take a look back. There's this guy I wanted to tell you and I think the viewers should know about because it just really irks me, and I don't think I've brought it up before. It really irks me that this human being exists, but no one knows who he is. Um, His name's Michael Fuller. He's like an 80-year-old dude with like liver spots on his head. He's balding. He's in a wheelchair, and he is a glitch in the matrix. He is a general disruptor who is going through chemo right now, and I guess he's got like an estimated six months to live. Uh-huh. He isn't rode out to a higher level because this we're close enough to like the, the hospitals and shit yeah. that he has to be here. And I first noticed him standing in a phone line. There's like little red squares and everyone's in a unified line. And there's nowhere. Okay. He comes in at like a 45-degree angle as if he's going somewhere, and instead of going around the line, he bursts through it. So we all like get out of the way, like six of us, because it's not like a, he's not yeah. breaking it perpendicular or one person has to move. He's like going like diagonal through it. So everyone has to go, whoa, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and he's old enough and in a wheelchair. So you kind of go, I'm not even gonna cut into this guy. He doesn't even know what's going on. Right. But he does know what's going on. And so wow. I turn around, he's like, Where's he going? Oh, he's just he he's just here to I love him. He's here to just cause disruptions. You know what I mean? Like, he's a, he's, he is like one man Project Mayhem. He'll, he'll do that, and then you'll turn around, and he'll be digging through the trash. He'll be making inappropriate comments to a transgender inmates and sissies. And, and the other day, he, was a couple, probably a couple months ago. Well, before we get to that, so I notice him, and I'm like, who is this guy? I either hate him or I love him. I might love this guy, right? He's got liver spots all over his head, wispy hair. He's going through chemo now, missing all his teeth. But there's a twinkle in his eye, this mischievous twinkle in his eye that lets you know, oh, he knows what he's doing. Does, does he so, talk a lot? Or does he talk? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, keep going. I mean, he doesn't have, like, real conversations with people that I've noticed, but he'll have outbursts. What the fuck? Okay. Or whatever. Okay. So we're coming back from we're coming back from Chow, and now the small yard isn't open, so you're not allowed to be out there. You have to you walk through it to go to Chow, and then you walk through it to come back. Well, right to the right of the entrance, it's like the front door has like a, a little kind of tunnel built around it, a little right. um, breezeway. He's off, and then there's fence to the right, but there's a little gap between the breezeway and the fence, and he's backed into there, just hanging out like the yard's open. And I was just like, okay, I guess no one. This guy just does whatever the fuck he wants. Right. Later that day, it's raining. No one's on the yard, but you can stand in that little breezeway and look out. He's the only one out here. He's facing some weird direction, and he's got a trash bag over his head, and he's just staring off into the distance. And I'm like, <laughs> I think I love this guy. <laughs> a week later, he's on the microwave talking to one of the, um, the 
larger transgender giant boobs. Okay. Um, a black lady, black mm-hmm. gentlewoman. Mm-hmm. Um, and she walks off and he goes, I didn't even like black women in the world. Now I like black men. That's <laughs> what he said. <laughs> it's what he said. He's on okay, so he's LOP literally till the rest of his life, if he really does have six months to go. And uh, a CEO will come out and go, hey, Fuller, go lock down. And he'll go, fuck you, write the ticket, bitch. Oh, and then she'll be like, no, no, I'm telling you, go lock down. And he'll be like, and I told you to go write the ticket. And he'll put his coffee in the microwave <laughs> and turn it on. And, uh, I give a fuck. I was standing in line just now, and they put him in the hole. So there was a dude there that was going to healthcare, and they said they, he had to go to get chemo, and he's got like eight guards escorting him, and he's got a spit mask on and all that shit. You know what I mean? They're just telling stories, and I, I can just tell who they're talking about. And I'm like, I fucking love that guy. And it really bothers me that he's not a part of a reality show. He's not performing for anyone but himself. He just doesn't. Oh, interesting. He re- why, does he go to, why does he go to chemo if he only has six months left, left to live? Or is that an answer that we wouldn't be able to answer? Or a question? Why well, they have to give him treatment. I don't know. I've just heard the six-month thing. Yeah, um, okay. Anyway. When, went in the chow hall, and he was in cuffs the other day. I thought that's why I talked about him. And we were like, oh, leave him alone. And I was like, leave him alone. He's dying. And he knows that he yeah. plays that shit up, that crazy old man thing. Like, I don't know where I'm at, but he fucking totally knows. But he does. Knows where he's at. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it just bothers me that, that Michael Fuller, Mike Crow, he probably beat cancer, though. He'll probably beat it. Um, they said he was over there, and there's a bunch of other people getting chemo. And they're all like, I hate hospital food. He's like, I love it. Give me it. I'll eat all your hospital food. Like, oh, he's my just, God. He's got so much, so much energy and uh I just like so much that his idea of disruption is cutting a line in the most masterfully awkward angle. Uh, just, for just nothing. For, just just for, <laughs> for the sake of doing it. That, it you know, that's sake. It, because it's super weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is like the epitome of it, and it just it breaks my It's a travesty that shouldn't be allowed to exist that no one knows who he is. Because he's not. He's like a genuine, authentic <laughs> disruptor. You know, you'll walk by and he'll have his, half his body in a trash can, like rooting around for stuff. Oh, someone also, he's telling the story. The, uh, this other dude chimes in when the dude's telling the story about him being over the healthcare. He goes, yeah, uh, I was coming back from a writ where, they, where you're in the shackles, like when I was in the hospital, and they strip you in and out when you're back. So they have this little mat with these tear-off things of pieces of paper with footprints on them. So because you've got to take your shoes and socks off. So you'll tear mm-hmm. one off, and then you'll stand on that so you don't have to stand on bare feet on the ground, right? He says, okay. uh, he says he gets done, the guy gives him his clothes back, he picks up a whole pad of like 200 of them, rolls them up, and puts them in his wheelchair and just wheels off. <laughs> like, there's, no, <laughs> there's no reason. Oh, my and, God. He, this, is, and this is incredible. I'm impressed. I love him. I love him so much, man. And, uh, you know, he, I guess he, they, they wrote him up because I guess uh, he was over there, they were giving him a shot or taking his blood pressure, and uh, he pinched a nurse's ass. And he was oh. mad because he's like, she didn't even care about it, but these bastards want to write me a ticket. <laughs> you know, so uh, I'm not saying the guy's a saint. You know? so, no, clearly not. But uh, I just like that he – it's the same reason I like Gigi Allen. I just like that Gigi Allen existed. I couldn't exactly hang out with him all the time or nothing, but right, right. I just like knowing a guy a guy like that exists. And, uh, Fuller. I get a call out slid through my bars. If I explain what a call out is, it's your daily itinerary. I got one, and they're calling for you got to go to intake. So right then I know now, okay, that's where I go if I'm leaving the facility. So now I know I'm leaving the facility. So 
intakes where you ride in from or ride out from. It's like this on-air conditioned place. So I go over there. So I just sit there and and wait for my transport cop to come. And uh, luckily for me, they call me real quick, and I'm like, okay, cool. And I thought they were going to strip me down and stuff before, but they don't. But he comes in, and he's like, you know, he's probably a couple years older than me, military-looking dude or cop-looking dude, you know, kind of broad shoulders, like not really one one to talk. And so, uh, I, you know, I got to put the cuffs on, turn around, and get the belly chains on so my wrists are cuffed to my waist. I don't, I didn't realize this, at this low level, they don't cuff your, they don't put you in ankle shackles. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm like, okay, cool. He's like, oh, you ready? And so I get in the car, and I can tell he's like, he doesn't want, you know, I, I you know, I can throw a little feelers out there to tell if they're like, oh, this guy's going to be cool. He doesn't want to say anything. And I'm like, okay, you don't want to talk? Fine by me. People should be fine with being silent. So get in the old uh, transport van, and he's listening to Bob and Tom talk radio. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. He has it cranked up really loud, which lets me, as another sign, like, I don't want to talk, which is fine. I'm like, all right. I'm okay with that. Um, but there's still a part of me that's like, yeah, you want to talk. You want to talk? <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's, that's, that's not yet. It's not because it's still early. So we start driving. I'm in a little van, and there's, like, cages around the window and shit. And just in case you were to able to look out the window and pretend you weren't exiled from society. So we go through, and then we get on. And people had told me this for for uh, that had been done a lot of time and gotten out. Um, but driving, they, they would say, like, when I was in cars, like it would kind of freak me out a little bit. And I'd, I'd been transferred to places. Usually you're in what they call a snowbird, a big, giant bus, which is a little different. You don't really feel like you're connected to the road as much. So I'm watching people drinking, like, little, little coffee cups with the tops on them as they're, like, going to work. And I seen a guy with a monster energy drink that I'd never seen before. It was, like, in a clear thing. And I was like, oh, what's that? And, uh, you know, all the while Bob and Tom's playing. And we go through a little tiny downtown area, and I'm looking at the little uh, the walk lights that are hanging up on the corners and shit. You know, you push the button, and, and, and I'm just like, oh, man, like just looking at shit I haven't seen in, in, in a long time. Right, you haven't been in traffic. You haven't been downtown. You haven't been through a neighborhood. You have, This is all like, whoa, I remember this. Yeah, and I'm looking at houses, and I look at a gas station. And I'm kind of trying to do these, like, mental, mental exercises where I'm trying to put myself there. Like, okay, so aside from the cage that I'm, like, looking through, I'm trying to, like, put myself there. Like, okay, well, other than time, I'm here, and I'm technically out in this stuff. I'm trying to, like, put myself in the mind state of, like, what it would feel like if I was out here. And it's weird. It's, it's hard to do. It's it's not it doesn't feel right. So we go through and I'm looking at neighborhoods, I'm looking at cars. I you don't get to see cars. You know what I mean? Except for right. and shit. And I'm like, ooh, all the cars are like newer. They're all like those boxy newer type cars. And uh some people are walking their dogs and the sun's out. So that's kind of what was going on on my ride there. And I thought I was gonna go to the prison hospital, but I was. I was going to Henry Ford Allegiance, which is like a seven-story, um, you know, civilian hospital. Whoa, going up to the civilian hospital. This is going to be another experience for you that's going to be a little bit weird then. Yeah. And so, so we get there, and I see this towering building. So we pull around back. We pull way around back, and there's a bunch of other transport vans there. 
And so we pull in there and park, and there's other transport cops waiting around, like, shooting the shit. And we're, we're in the back. Like, this is now, this is where, like, the emergency ambulances come. Those are the only people out back there. And so I'm like, oh, they're, like, escorting us in, like, through the back so people don't have to see us and don't have to worry. They probably have a different protocol whatever. So we walk in the back, and uh, I'm looking on the way in. I'm seeing, like, a cigarette butt here or just weird little things that, that you might not pay attention to. I wouldn't have never paid attention in the world where I'm like, oh, like, I'm outside of prison. You don't see cigarette butts anymore in prison. And soaking up all these weird little things is kind of like sensory overload. So I go in, the guy's behind me, he's like, you just walk through, I'm like asking him, like, which way do you want me to go? Now, a lot of these uh, transport cops, they, a lot of us, I used to have a completely us versus them mentality. And then I realized, like, oh, us, inmates, there's a lot of fucking dummies here that I can't stand, too, that are ignorant assholes. And same with the other side. So the trick is, it's whatever side you're on, not to be the worst of your group. So I understand that this guy probably... I understand when they don't have the best um, view of us. It's like, oh, well, they were mean to me, so I'd fuck them. You know, right. I understand it. I'm not saying it's right. I understand. So we go in, and there's a guy standing there, an Indian guy standing there, and he's like the gatekeeper to the back. And I am, and I got my COVID mask on. I'm in my prison blues, like button-up tucked in shirt, and then I'm chained up, though. You know what I mean? And I can see on his face, he goes like, um, like the discomfort of being like, oh, here comes like, I, I look like a fucking serial killer. You know what I mean? The way I'm chained up and shit. And you got a cop right behind you, and you got the COVID mask on, the little, the, the hospital mask, and uh, I can see on his face. Discomfort. I don't know if he's judging or what. I couldn't tell that, but I can just tell he's uncomfortable. Like it makes him uncomfortable. And rightfully so. I look, I look like a, I look like I'm just a savage. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm tattooed up and shit. And I can't give you like the the smile eyes with the mask on and like you know what I mean? It takes. I can usually disarm people quick by talking to them, but there's no point and there's no time. And I can just feel, I feel that shit hit my chest like, oh, you are an other. You are the ultimate other. And to where almost, I don't want to make this comparison. I just don't know what else to compare it to, but just like, um, like, I don't know. I don't even want to make the comparison. It's just I'm clearly an other that is, like, extremely obvious. So he's like, gives us a little sticker and uh, tells us where to go. And the guys that go to the elevator. So I go to the elevator, and it's there's we're the only two on there. And he pushes seventh floor. And then uh, a, a man and a woman get on there, civil, obviously civilians. But they're not even, like, dressed in hospital stuff. Who knows what they're doing there. They might have been visiting someone. And... Like the door closes and they look at me and I'm like, they're just, they're just, they don't, I don't want to say terrified, but they're like, it's, it's bothersome. It's awkward. It's like, and so she starts making like over small talk with the guy, like to try to like, I don't know, mask the fact that in their mind, they're probably in the elevator with someone that might just fucking try to rip them to sh I don't know, man. <laughs> like, was, But you're still, you're still uh, shackled up uh, in the, you know, belly yeah. chain. Yeah. Yeah, and I got this goon standing over me like, I'm here for your protection type shit. And it just breaks because I'm not that guy. I, I've never been that guy. I don't like making people feel uncomfortable. And I would never just hurt. So, you know what I mean? I'm more likely to get into, which is, I guess, kind of ironic, get into some violence, like trying to help somebody. And uh, it's, it's a thing. It does something to your heart, man, when you're just standing there and you can just tell, like, just your presence makes everyone uncomfortable. It, it, 
fucks with you in a way that I don't know terrible like right now just talking about it my, I can feel my heart like it feels fucked up so they lead me up to the top floor they get off and that's probably their story for the next week I was in the elevator with the killer or whatever you should have seen his neck catch maybe not yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe she was. I try to remind myself she could be sympathetic and just felt bad for me. Because we're in level four, so we do what's called a level four shuffle. Since we don't get yard, we walk super slow on the way to Chow and super slow on the way back so we can get some fresh air and sun. And we start walking. I don't take maybe 10 steps before uh, the guy's like, hey, watch, like motions to me, like get out of the way. So we step to the side, and the, the whole little crowd kind of parts to let someone through. So we step off into the grass, right? Now, the sidewalk's probably, I don't know, 10 feet across, right? And so there's inmates on both sides that are letting a CO go by. Now, the CO's behind a guy who's handcuffed. He's got his hands cuffed behind him. And the guy's got his V-neck shirt pulled up over his nose as he's walking. So it's like a, forming a little mask over his face. And I don't, we don't really know what's going on. And uh, right as he gets in front of me, a shirt, the V-neck slips off of his nose and falls down around his chest where your shirt would normally be. And he has a slice from his ear to the corner of his mouth that has went all the way through. And the bottom part of his cheek under the slash has fallen over like a fish fillet and is dangling dangling there and you can see a row of his teeth through his cheek and um, I'm just there like hold it in this is insane but you're not going to react what the fuck first thing in prison yikes so he gets past us and about 20 yards behind him before the, the group can close back in around him behind him there's another CO coming, and he's got another guy cuffed up. This is my favorite part of the story. This is this is where it gets weird. This guy doesn't have shit on his face, and they march him through, and he is the bell of the ball, just ear to ear smile, head up. Everyone look at me. That dude you just seen before, I did that. And then they walk past, and then the crowd closes back in around them, and we go back to our rock and I go back to my cell yeah so um, that was a day one initiation and I was like okay temperature has been taken this is where I'm at and this influences a lot of my decision making over the next you know year at this joint uh, I'm probably getting on that bar just in time at 545 at night <laughs> I, uh, we talked when me and you really started, uh, I think when we really started talking on the phone a lot, uh, was, was during, during Corona, like right at the beginning of it, I believe. So it was, it wasn't long before, see, when I call people, um, I, I get to experience, I'm like, well, no, tell me what you're doing. Describe it. Where are you at? And, uh, so that's like my, it's an outward facing window from prison and, it was really quick, like, you know, Corona made you realize that, you know, obviously I'm doing nothing, but when, when both of us are doing nothing, it's a lot of like, so what have you been doing? <laughs> pretty much the same thing. Both of us have pretty much been doing the same thing, and now that it's open, I get to uh, mooch off you guys experientially, I guess. Huh? Huh? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Kevorkian was in Michigan. 
Yeah. He was in, in the pen while you were? No, but he was in the same penitentiary that me and all this is a celebrity penitentiary. Oh, this the same. is like Bill Burr says, I shared the same stage with fucking <laughs> Sonny Bono and it was great to be there. Yeah, you're like, I'm in the same prison Jack Kevorkian was in. I, 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 I want to live up to his legend. It was me, White Boy Rick, and Jack Kevorkian playing dominoes. Just living the dream. Just living the dream. Speaking of which, I just thought of this thing. My, uh, when I was just like, I doubt, you know, people are bragging about the hookups they had. And I remember when I was really young, my mom was like, you know the band The Romantics? What I like about you? Yeah. Well, she, my mom was like, oh, yeah, she had a bunch of records, and we would listen to records. And I was, I'm talking about, like, four, five, six years old. And she, uh, I remember, she was like, I dated the drummer in this band. And I was like, awesome. My mom's basically famous. She's like a guest. And I didn't realize until I was in my 30s, because I literally thought about the story, but I was repeating it to someone in prison. I was like, yeah, my, you know the, the band The Romantics? My mom, and as I was saying it, I realized that he just banged her in a van. <laughs> he, like, I realized mid-sentence, and as I said it, like, my face twisted out, and he's like, what? And I'm like, oh, my mom was a groupie. And why was she telling me that when I was five? What an asshole. So I guess those people can tell those stories to their kids. <laughs> She's going to be so mad. She's going to be so mad that I said... I know, I, that's the, I have the reason I was laughing so hard is I have to send this audio file to her as soon as we can. Today has been a, a day full of podcasts. Uh, a hungover Douglas woke up and had to do Artie Langs, who was pushing through his own. I was in Phoenix, and uh, we were supposed to podcast, but Michael Bean was coming in, and Jennifer, uh, his wife, to see the show, and I get there at 10.30 in the morning. I said, just come to our Airbnb and hang out until you can check into your place. So just as he shows up fucking straight off a plane from L.A., he's spitting fire, you call in, and you two start going at each other, and it was a most beautiful fucking roast battle. You're both on your top of your game. Michael Bean yelling into a speakerphone. <laughs> like he's yelling into a conch shell. He's quite uh, don't have to put your face right up to the phone. And you're busting his balls. And then right in the middle of this, at this fevered pitch, fucking Brendan Walsh comes in and says, hey, Norm MacDonald's dead. Which, if you know Brendan Walsh for years, he would just, like, tell you uh, that Gene Hackman is dead just to watch the audience all groan and then say, yeah, so you never knew how much you loved Gene Hackman. So I told you he's dead. You should all go home and write an email to Gene Hackman and tell him how much you have Hackman fever up in this bitch. So for, like the last person you're going to accept news of someone's death from is Brendan Walsh, but he completely right. kills the fucking... Fit, Kaylee fact-checks it as we're yelling bullshit. Nope, Norm's dead at 61. And then we just went right back on with our their own phone call. It was fucking a beautiful moment, Bobby. I'm sorry I wasn't there to hit record on the right phone. That's all right. Some of those things are just meant for me and Michael Bean and his wife. Uh, three sons, future three sons, insult. Con con He's a smart kid. He's going to be figuring out social media. And at some point, I'd like for something, for, for some of the stuff he finds, if I don't use this platform as like 
at least one or two episodes to be a little message in a bottle to them. Cassius, if you've somehow stumbled across this profanity-laden, rambling series of lessons and, and things that I, I, I aimed at my younger self but also applied to you, this is what I want to tell you. I love you. I miss you, and I love you so much that words can't express, and certainly an hour-long podcast won't do justice to. I miss you in ways that I didn't know was possible to miss someone, and I love you in ways that I didn't know was possible for someone to love someone. And I'm sorry that you've had to go through so much tough stuff at such a young age because of my failings as a man. That being said, after all that, I want you to know that I've done everything I can since then to be in your life and try to mitigate or maybe one day hope to like be able to fix some of the things that happened, some of the things I did, and some of the things you and your sister, who I love, all of this applies to her too. I love her so much that we'll be able to build a relationship. And, and one of the things that allows me to sleep decent at night is knowing faithfully that the bond that we were able to build in those few short years out there was, and this isn't wishful thinking, this is, and, and a lot of it took place, you won't be able to remember all of it, but that core feeling between me and you is strong enough to uh, to withstand this and, and to at least have a place where we're gonna be able to have some of those deeper conversations and questions because I know you, you are me. Your brain is like mine and I know you're gonna have tons of questions and we're gonna have tougher conversations in the future and I can't wait to be able to have them. They're not gonna be easy, but you deserve it and I'll be there for you. I will always be here for you in every way that's physically and emotionally possible for me to be. As you get older, you'll find out that I fought for you, and, and I did everything I could legally to have more time with you, to have structured time without infringing on whatever you have going on out there right now. I know you're in a tough position, and uh, one thing I say about your grandma is that she, she loves you. Both of them do, but the one you live with now loves you, and in her own way, she's doing what she thinks is best for you. Um, but our, but our bond's strong. And I wanted to tell, and this is for you specifically. I know you won't be able to remember it, but this paints a great picture of why I'm faithful in our bond. And it's just a little small thing. So I used to be, uh, it's happened a couple times, but I'd be sitting watching TV after work. And uh, this one that's like so vivid in my mind, I was sitting on the ground with my back on the couch and my right arm propped up on the cushion of it. And uh, your mom was in the kitchen making a cake. And I was just like scrolling through Netflix, just watching something, just, uh, I don't even remember what it was. And uh, you're running by playing with your sister. And I'm like, uh, not even really paying too much attention. And out of nowhere, I think your sister runs upstairs and you're chasing her and then you stop. And you intentionally walk over to me and you poke me on the shoulder. And I'm like, what's up? And you're saying, dad, like, what's up? But I'm still looking at the TV. And you're like, dad. And so, you make sure I look at you, and then we lock eyes, and as genuine and innocent and thoughtful and present as anyone's ever said this to me, she said, <clears throat> he said, as if the thought just struck you when you were running by and you had to make sure I knew, you said, you're my best friend. 
And I said, uh, you're my best friend too. And so, uh, I love you, kid. This is, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sure. So yeah, so it's another one of these ones. <laughs> that's what that's what this was about. That's what this message in a bottle was about. The, the the off chance, or maybe even the probable chance that you might find this one day before you've actually figured out how to contact me or any of that stuff. So just uh, just know I love you. That's it. Hi everybody, Mama C here. For the complete library, full episodes, and bonus content and mainly to support this cause, visit Notes from the Pen on Patreon. To learn more about Bobby and Prison Reform, visit our website, notesfromthepen.com. And follow us on Twitter to stay current. This has been another Notes from the Pen production.